0: Hey everybody, it's Matt, and this is episode probably going to be five of Labor with the Caribbean, which is a podcast in which we talk about how people create things and difficulties they face with that and all the other sort of ancillary uh, issues that arise from that, which sounds really dry, but I always think it's super interesting. Hopefully you do too. This episode has Ian Williams of the band Battles also previously of Storm and Stress and also a little, uh, Don Caballero. Uh, Ian uh, is one of our favorite, in one of our favorite bands. Um, I hate the word musician, but um, I would call him one of my favorite musicians, so it was really fun to talk to him. It was at, uh, at Splitty, our kind of go-to place in Brooklyn on the back patio, uh, which is again, a great spot. It was a beautiful day, um, and Ian was a great uh, conversationalist and and kind of guest for us um and things got sort of prof- if not profound then fairly deep quickly um and a lot of the pauses you hear in this are him considering things very closely and uh thinking deeply before he responds you can see him kind of formulate his answers as questions are posited to him so Uh, We always appreciate that, and that's a pretty awesome thing to see. So, um, thanks to Ian for being there, and here we go with our episode with Ian Williams of Battles. So, you know, one of the kind of the angles on this podcast that we do is like, it's called labor, so it's about like the act of creation and you make stuff and how the decisions you make but also like mechanics of it not so much always the mechanics of the creative process but just balancing all the stuff that goes on in your life and trying to make it work and you've been in various states of that yeah. over the years where you were that's in true. bands that were successful but i'm sure you were not enormously and financially successful and this is i mean i don't mean to presume but um yeah. yeah so that's one of the things we talk about with a lot of people yeah how you make. I mean, are you are you doing battles full-time now? Is that your your thing? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I've,
1: most of my money's been from. Yeah. yeah?
0: When's the last time you had a day job? Two,
1: two, 2004. Four. Wow. And what did you do? I was a video editor, and uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like to tell you anything. I could tell you the thing before that, to, sure, to explain the thing before that. But uh,
2: are we rolling?
0: Yeah, we we're are rolling. Okay. I just start recording.
2: Um, were you editing pornography? you were awfully circumspect. <laughs> you know, honestly, <laughs> there, wow. was, there was a time,
1: probably about a year before that. I, I, my friend owned like a little film studio in the West Village, and I was the editor. But there was like a really slow time when we had no work and. We an ad not add the onion, or something, some some newspaper for, like, video editor for hire, uh-huh. to join up some business, and we only got one response, and it was to do porn, and I, the owner and I were totally into it, I would have pinned the editor, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay, and, and, uh, and then there was a third guy there, and he was totally freaked out, thought it was terrible that I would do it, But I was like, because we quoted a ridiculous price, and they didn't believe it, and I was like, uh-huh. this will be, like, Okay, I can figure this out. And uh... and the weirdest thing happened I think I know was... where to cut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like... <laughs> no, <laughs> the crazy thing was that, like, this... A man and a woman show up, and the woman is actually like, the director of these things, and the man's the producer, and they, they really seem like characters out of, like, central casting for, like, New Jersey mobsters making porn films kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And, like... But the woman's like very aggressive. She's the director. Talking about all these directors and like I don't I don't know that much about it. But I'm like okay okay. And they come and they they give us this big lecture about the security of the tapes and how the like, tapes are very valuable because you know apparently they spent a year making all these tapes, the raw footage. And so then but it was something like we have to transfer it to hard drive right away and then like they need the tapes right back. It was this whole thing. We're like okay no problem. So. You know, we don't start making the movies yet or anything. So, but one day, like a courier drops off this big box of tapes, and these are like mini DV
2: mm-hmm.
1: tapes, and like, you know, and it was like, thousand, like, well, I don't know, maybe about a thousand tapes. It was like a lot. And we just, Braden and I, popped one in and just watched the first ten seconds. We're like, yeah, okay, that's what that is. And uh, waiting for them to call and set up the first appointment to get started. They never call, hmm. and I think ten years later we're still like sitting on the tapes even. Yeah, I or did I, they ever I asked. Them? I, I'm not there anymore, and I asked parents "What did you do with those tapes?" And he's like, oh, "I finally got rid really, of." I felt nervous because it felt like what did somebody get murdered or something? Right, right. We're just and we're sitting on these tapes like what are we do? <laughs> that is... So the, the, nice, so nice so the movie's never been cut. So that
3: and the Jerry Lewis movie with the clown at the, at the death camp. That's Those right. That was just out. on Facebook
0: the other day. They had a they had a rare clip of that. It was with German yeah, dub. It was making Open up.
2: culture, dangerous minds. I've Something seen that. like that. Yeah.
0: And uh, It shows Jerry directing and wearing clown makeup at some point. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. And yeah, he's, he's doing seen. takes and juggling. You know what we're talking about? The day that... The, day the, the clown
3: cried I, I don't think so. Jerry Lewis made a movie. What was it? early, mid-60s. It was
2: 1971.
3: Oh, 71. And he was, you know, and actually talented director and he decided he was going to make a movie based on a story that I think he read. And it was basically, he was playing the lead and directing a clown at a concentration camp in the Holocaust. And this is called The Day the Clown Cried. And they shot, I don't think they shot all of it. I don't think they did, but it it became pretty evident quickly it was going to be a disaster. And he keeps it under lock and key. The, The... and occasionally, like Harry Shearer has seen it, there are a handful of people who've seen it who said it's jaw-dropping. It's a, you're like,
2: it's so it's so bad. It's so
0: you. wrong. And, and Harry so
2: Shearer was able to talk Jerry Lewis. Yeah, he's showing it to him.
0: I think he I Jerry some, Lewis actually he was on Stern talking about it actually. Yeah. It 20 and, years ago. So and he, he wrote about it. it. Harry Shearer or Jerry and Lewis? Harry, Harry, Shear, Harry Shear. Uh-huh. Jerry, Jerry Lewis, Lewis said recently, about it. even like he's yeah. never he will never see the light of day. Yeah, he's embarrassed by it, et cetera, et cetera. And apparently,
3: rightfully so. It's just it's the idea was bad and Jerry Lewis playing the clown who is you know trying to distract the kids before they're going to the showers it's just it's just it's just a bad well, idea you
0: should look it up it's pretty it's pretty amazing um
2: well and then 20 yeah, years later but you uh, can't see it
0: no but you should read about it on Wikipedia because yeah. the, well, and the, the summary and Harry Shearer did a, a summary of it and he's funny anyway
3: and his description yeah. of it is just and I think I read that and it was he's like it's
0: worse even more intriguing yeah aren't there
2: similarities though to life is beautiful man that and that's that won oscars
0: he's not a clown for he is taken to a concentration camp and his son is with him and he has to hide his son Uh uh-huh it's it's a little bit different he does mug he does all the whatever his name is what's the actor's name the italian Uh, uh, guy armando giannucci is that what No, but he's a guy who's really well-known. He's... Bernini. Yeah. Whatever, anyway. Yeah, he directed It's him. not the same thing. No. Um, well, it's funny you say that about the... For a number of reasons, you say that about the porn thing, but we were talking to Johnny Temple this morning. you know Johnny? Oh, yeah, Grossman's yeah, books. Yeah, yeah, and he runs Akashic um, Books. We did a podcast with him. Right. Bingo. Kashuk. We're just talking about okay, art. Yeah. art versus commerce and, like, you know... Because he makes a living doing this. He has employees, you know, and does
1: really oh, well. Oh, does he?
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 It's a cool house. Wait, my
1: Girls Against Boys lineup, uh, Johnny Temple does that, Eli Jen, Janney, Janney is the producer guy. Yes, right. engineer, exactly. producer. Right.
0: Um, we were talking about him earlier, in fact, but, you know, we're just talking to him about when do you have to make decisions, because you have overhead, you know, you have this business, you have employees, when do you have to sometimes make decisions... To do things you wouldn't really want to do if you didn't have a choice, but in order just to make a living. Yeah. So that's a pretty funny illustration of that, for one.
1: Yeah. But. I did I don't feel totally sleazy because I we didn't get the chance to actually. Yeah, do sure. It. it failed.
3: Hey, somebody's got to edit those films, right? You know. Oh, and
0: I didn't I imply you're being sleazy. I just think it's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it's sleazy. I think but I, it is the same I would question. Have, I would have said yes. I would have been just been curious. What's it like to edit a porno? Film? Yeah. Well, yeah. especially if you're asking whatever you ask, you well, go, "Okay, give ask me yeah, ten thousand dollars." Like, and yeah. they're like, "Okay." Yeah. It's yeah. not your
3: art. I mean, you're yeah. just doing a job. Yeah. And you're like, "Hey, you called my you you called my price
0: bluff." Right. I'm in. All right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you ever have to do that? Do you ever have to do that in, in battles? Do you ever have to like decide to do a, to do something you don't want to do or sell to a commercial to you for snippets you don't want to do? And I'm not judging this at all. I'm mean, honestly just I will just now you won't.
4: We, uh,
1: I mean, do we, I mean, yeah, uh, I think there, I mean, it, it is, it is It is money, it is about making money, sure. so that you can live, and you know, the, uh, I mean, living in, living in New York does something to you, which, I mean, you sell your soul in a sense to live here, in the sense that you're all, every month, you're like next month I have to pay rent again it's a big number yeah <laughs> and you're always like okay where's the money coming from the money? And, and you know all, all of a sudden you know you know I I did I did like in the 90s I divide my life between the 90s and after the 90s <laughs> and the, you know in the 90s I lived in Pittsburgh and Chicago and uh, life was cheaper different sort of ideological outlook about what you have to do Sure. and then when, and I came here the end of 2000 and all of a sudden it's like well yeah all that stuff's nice but actually I have to make a living now and like what do I do and it changes your perspective living in such an expensive city so you know it, but mostly I to me it's always like hopefully I do something I can make things that I'm so proud of artistically but but, you know, you know I, I think ultimately you know hopefully I can do things I'm proud of artistically but then think about how I can as much money off of as I can. Sure.
3: Yeah,
1: good amount. And, you know, know, there was this idea of like, I remember there was a certain point in the 90s, I think it was after the Nirvana moment, when it, or at least it seemed this way to me, you know, as a young man coming into the world at that time, you know, the whole idea of independent labels as this refuge for people who made music that was too radical for... Corporate pipeline, right? And that's why there was this, you know, alternative. And there was a point in the '90s when it became being indie became more of this financial decision. Like it's actually smarter for me financially to control my music as opposed to. And and that's a totally different decision. To say, uh, we could be on Atlantic Records, but. We'd rather be on Merge right now because, I don't know. You know Better deal, probably. It's almost an aesthetic deal or something. Oh, sure. But like that, and, and and those becomes, that's like a different issue than like and we had to be. Like, if you're on Touch & Go Records in 1981, you're on Touch & Go Records in 1981 probably because the only person in the world that would even give you, would be like, yeah, let's make a couple thousand seven inches of this would be Touch & Go Records right. or something. Whereas, like, when it becomes, like, this choice between different, uh, highways to get where you want to go, um, it, it started to seem to me like a lot, like a lot of what was independent music got kind of clouded up with, like, it wasn't really about it being, you know, like, radical or out there somehow, it became about it being, um, You, 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 you know, I was the idea of always, if you could sell out Madison Square Garden, you should. And you shouldn't just say, we just want to play these small DIY shows at fire halls or something to all ages and crowds. You know, it, like if the machine can take you, you should shove yourself down his throat as far as you can. And <laughs> I think most people probably think that secretly. Like, who's going to turn
0: away fans, Right. But it's interesting, like you always heard but, about what tortured Kurt Cobain is that all these yeah. people liked Nirvana, I love Nirvana, who he didn't think should and who he didn't approve of, right? So I guess yeah. there's more ways to think about I it. I mean, if you
1: look at, you know, like Steve Albini, he's a smart guy, I respect him a lot, but you know, he, when he talks about so, some of those ideas, there is this, like, to, to him it is, a, like, I think, a deliberate strategy of, like, I want to deliberately make what I do to be a hobby now he he makes his living mostly as a a recording engineer but you know Shellac is a man that plays like three shows a year and it's almost like a deliberate obfuscation or something like like a way to you know know, he said things to me like you know when I realized how many people bought big black records and how, how many people it had been exposed to it, I realized that not, there aren't that many cool people in the world, and then it really bummed me out, <laughs> you know, like, I, I think right. that, that that's like, thinking about it in a way that, like,
3: like um, well, I do think that post-Nirvana, I mean, Nirvana, I remember, led to a flurry, and that's putting it mildly, of independent bands being signed by major labels, and what, one of the things, you said the economic decision of remaining independent, one of the, the, the fallouts of that, and I remember there was an article in the Post or something, all these bands that signed major label deals in the wake of Nirvana, uh, first of all, did not get six-figure advances and put it in the bank and uh, found that they were getting advances that they maybe even had to pay back, and they were living in their parents' basement. They actually were living better as independent adults before they signed the deal, when they were, and they were sort of enslaved by it. And there was, do you remember that article? I think it was right around when Displan had signed with
0: Interscombe. Displan was on the cover of the They were the one of them, and it was that. just
3: like, you know, we're making $14,000 a year piece, and we're, you know, and you had to make all these, all these, ironically, financial compromises to be on a major, not, yeah. withstanding any artistic compromises. Exactly. So I think people started thinking, yeah, if I'm on a good, if I'm on a good major with, with, a good indie with some distribution, I can actually do what I want to do, and not be beholden to anybody, you
0: know. Oh, well, and also, but that maybe, I, I think what you're saying, yeah, what you're saying too, is that you maybe actually, actually, you'll get a better return. I mean, it's the same yeah. thing as uh, well. I don't I'll tell tales; that cool. But the um, well, what Johnny was talking about too, Johnny Temple, talking about the same thing with authors. Like we'll have an author who maybe you know gets an offer for a big advance from a giant publishing house, but it makes a lot more sense for him to not be put His art with them, even though he gets the money, it's probably going to disappear into this hole anyway. This morass is, although he did say, Hey, booked. if you can make big money and I can help, Go I'm for it. happy it to. The do same thing yeah, you're right. saying, if the money's you know, there
3: and you're doing yeah, yeah. your thing, so I, I that's it. That's a and so I guess then back to the question is so you make compromises, you have to make a living, you right. live in an
1: expensive city, uh, you're a grown up, you know, you know I'm, I'm mostly like a middle class artist and that's like a success in its own way They're like i don't have to have a job I to do what i want to do very much
2: <laughs>
1: but you know or but, your but, job is what you want to do Ain't to yeah color that a different way yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i know because sometimes i use that i'm like hey i do have a job i'm not a bum right, yeah. but, right. Yeah. Totally. but then <clears throat> i just wake up at two yeah. every day so what <laughs> <laughs> but the the uh uh, where was I? Um, oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Being that sort of like the middle class artist, then you do have, to, you still have, to, you know, when a, a TV commercial comes along and offers you a certain sum of money, you can't say no. To that. I mean, I like idealistically, I think I still would say you you would say no to it, but we we can't. Say no. But that,
0: that's interesting, like our generation, we're all in our 40s, I think. I think we're Yeah. Um, I mean, that was so anathema, like growing up. like I uh, remember yeah. that in the early yeah. 80s. Like, I mean, it, it was like, I remember in my head, like, absolutely. Are you kidding? No, this isn't even dictionary a dictionary definition of selling out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is not even a question. Hopefully. And Pete Townsend was one of the early guys who was selling cuckoo things. And I'm like, you dumbass, what are you doing? Right. And actually, still pisses me off. He does that with a lot of great songs because you really need the money. Let's not get too far down that road, but anyway. Um, but now I don't hold any judgment for that. I mean, unless it was something like just
1: an absolutely evil product, I would have no yeah, problem. Yeah, I think about that well, like, there, I mean, like be- if the
2: RNC offered us like a million dollars for mm-hmm. one show at their convention. Sure. Like, but yeah, I mean, there are different question. definitions of, of evil, though. I mean, by I mean using that prism, uh, folks would say McDonald's, Sunoco, Coca-Cola... That's what I'm saying. Is uh, everybody you know, has their, own, right, has their are, own definition of what that is. All in their own terms, you know, evil yeah, entities. So a, everybody's would we gonna have a different a interpretation. Caribbean song in a Cheerios commercial, because General Mills is defoliating the palm uh, right. forests of Malaysia. Hey. Let's cross yeah. that bridge. Between. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I
3: draw the line at Zyklon B. Pretty much that's everything. Yeah, yeah. You know. If you want to, yeah, that's just it, though. If you want to if you want to dig that deep, you could probably find... It. That's I mean, exactly my that kind of point. And what yeah, yeah. uh, you're saying is, yeah, and, but until you're living off of it and you're trying to live your life, you don't exactly. know what you would say and you can be as idealistic as you want to be and then you're in a position where, barring a major dramatic emotional response against uh, something that, you know, triggers... Is that... Oh. No, no. Uh, is, is, is it... You know, you, you might, because you, you'd like to eat. You'd like to keep doing this art, you know, so... Well, here, here's, a, here's yeah, an yeah, example, you you too. You want to make
2: more money. You well, I money? Mean, well, you also...
3: Well,
1: making art is expensive, too. Sure. You know?
0: You talk about the, the evil question, like... Yeah, it's also
1: evil. I just thought of this. I mean, I don't even know what this means, but, like, you know, if you went to college and those are your peers, when you grow up, you know, you get to be middle-aged and your middle-aged peers have been in their profession for 20 years, and they have a certain
2: comfort of life, and then you, I mean, you know, well, does that mean, at a you, certain point you're like, well, where's my house with a nice car?" You just described yeah. yourself as a middle class artist. I mean, yeah. uh, someday, I mean, wouldn't it nice to be an upper middle class artist? Yeah. yeah what what you know, the hell? I have exactly. friends who a very nice cars. I'm like, where's my nice car? Exactly. And it's Making natural. more money and that's for also, the sake of, of making more money. Yeah. you right? on the Because you can do all all sorts of great things with it. Travel, you can do anything,
3: yeah. No, I, I. But you're right. And at some point, college or even high school, and you compare your life, and you say, "Well, here's on the ledger." You know, we don't like yeah. to do it, but it happens inside. And you're like, "Well, you know," and yeah, why
4: don't God that that guy?
3: Well, that that's the that's that the Mark Marin podcast where they're talking about he and Judy Gold about people they know, even comedians who were who have struck it rich, and they're like, "What happened?" we're 50 and that
0: it just didn't why happen why can't you, that happen to me right And right. and you know, and, that and, being said yeah. they're middle class comics they make a living they oh, do it professionally it, yeah. and they're well known you know but yeah I think, it's a, I think it's a
1: constant struggle it all yeah it all I don't know the whole thing about doing like a TV commercial like giving your music for whatever corporate schlock also I don't I don't believe in like good TV commercials and bad TV commercials I mean if I worked at an ad agency I would have to think about that but I think from the Perspective of being the musicians playing the music. If you're in a band, as opposed to like a composer for hire for the TV commercial, I think they're all in a way suspect. So, like, because I'll experience that internally in, in our band a little bit. Somebody be like, "Oh, that's a well, that's a terrible commercial. I don't think we should do that." Like, not so much that the product's bad politically, just like artistically. That yeah. Like, cool. but, but, but well, like if it was a really cool commercial for. Hey, product X would that be better? Like, why is that? I, to me, i You're already crossing the line. Like, if you're giving it to them, it's just it's just exchange. They give you a check, you give them a the song. Well, it's funny. I
0: I actually saw I was in the, the UK earlier this summer. Yeah. And the other con- thing we could consider here is there is somewhat. I mean, for who's design, whoever's designing the commercial and choosing the music and putting the two together. There is a sort of an artistic component, and it can work well or not work well. If we think of the original version of this from our era, which was 20 years ago, whatever, Nick Drake being used in that VW ad, you know, yeah, Pink right. Moon, which was, like, just, was beautiful. Like, these people people driving around, and there's this windy road, Lovely, and the yeah. stars are out. But I saw an ad, I was in London, and this ad came on. I don't remember what it was for, but it had something off of um, Gloss Drop on it. Okay. I don't remember what it yeah. was. I'd only seen it yeah. in the UK, not here. But it worked like hell. It worked really great. Uh-huh. I mean, you guys' music really can work with that. In part because it's mostly instrumental and cinematic, and cinematic, of, yeah. yeah. Right. So it was, and if you look at it from the scope of artfulness as far as commercials can be, yeah, it was cool.
1: Yeah, that's good. No, it. it I have that component. It, you know, I can I can look, I can think. Is this good or bad? You know, I've been a video editor. I, you know, I think about how that works too. Mm-hmm. But I think. My, like if I'm the if first I still idealize a band you know as the coolest thing that there is like which is like a thing left over from childhood really like, and that's it and then everything else like well if you have, if you have to make movies go ahead or something but you <laughs> or write a book okay I guess but. so to me that, that's still the purest form so like when you have to cross the line and give your song
4: to it's already
2: Oh, the hill yep. in Baltimore, right? But yeah. yeah, Michael grew up there more or less. I grew up in Northern Jersey, yeah, and uh, moved to DC uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, actually, yeah. We're well, from Johnstown, right? Yeah, it's true. There's
0: actually, we actually have a good fellow friends... friend. Another band in Pittsburgh that we're really friendly with. So we've been spending a lot more time there actually, and uh, really, um, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, playing there more like there's been more reason to play there. You know, this band
1: and uh-huh. a huge following, but you know, there's people who are interested, so we get there yeah. more often. And I like Pittsburgh. I think yeah. it's, pretty cool. it's a small city that if you get some little in there, then like I think it's pretty easy to have a resonance and yeah, sure. people pay attention. Let's
2: well, sort of yeah, I mean that's sort of what we did. Our end was uh, this band Mariage Blanc. They're called uh-huh. uh, good guys, good band, and. Uh, and we played a bunch of shows with them basically, and uh, yeah. and people show up. But there's so a there's our end. There's there a know. general there's a a good that bando night goes. No, I was gonna
0: say there's there's a there's just a this, the vibe there is good. Like when we play there, the vibe is good. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of venue, like the people are just nice people and it's not this and, and yeah. It, I don't know. It's different. Yeah. There's certain towns that have the exact opposite vibe. With Philly, it's the exact opposite
1: every single time.
2: Well, are yeah. we starting to approach a a midwestern vibe in uh Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh I mean, it's it's, kind of on the Pittsburgh's doorstep. Pittsburgh's like the really.
1: mysterious No Man's Land between the mid- Midwest and the Northeast. And I, because it's it's really like Appalachia being injected up through the mountains. Yeah, totally. It's not very far from West Virginia. No. But you know, Cleveland's only two two and a half hours away, which is to me the beginning of the real Midwest. And, you know, it's when people people's accents become like hacky. Uh-huh. You know, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you betcha. You, yeah. Versus... <laughs> Pittsburgh is this weird, like, almost like the Baltimore, Philly accent leading into meeting... Right. Meeting, like, the hillbilly accent from West Virginia. It's this crazy crash.
0: No, that's... How that's, about it? Is that a Johnstown thing? I've heard the Delmarva accent there.
3: But I've heard... It, remnants of the Delmarva, and it's not the Delmarva... You know, I've heard... The, yeah, I've no, heard it's... It, it's Pittsburgh, Delmarva accent, I'm always surprised by that. I'm like... So Marva accent goes this far west and it does.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a zone, it's all it's like in the mountains all by itself. It's not, it never, it never really decayed the way, you know, like Buffalo and Cleveland and Detroit did, like the other industrial rust Belt cities. It it sort of was buffeted by its strangeness. Like it whatever's trendy, whatever's happening, whether it's urban decay or whatever, or whatever's cool, it's this to all of them. I, like it didn't take any cues from anywhere.
3: Well, it certainly had flight, but they also, but they also, they also have a pretty stout part of the healthcare industry is in Pittsburgh, so that That's one of their, yeah. that kind yeah. of that yeah. that, that yeah. definitely gave yeah. them
0: more yeah. margin for error, yeah. I suppose, than in Detroit. Yeah. No, but yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, I, I was thinking of a friend of mine who grew up somewhere near Altoona, I think, and he was always sharing with me all the little. Western Pennsylvania's with little phrases, the yeah. you know, and all that stuff. Yeah, the was. Yeah. yeah. So I was the biggie. Ever. Is it what well, say red up red up your room, uh, yeah. sweeper instead of a vacuum. You haven't heard that one?
1: Um, sweeper vacuum, I'm not sure of
0: that one. <laughs> I don't know. This is super important, we gotta get this nailed down.
4: Yeah, you gotta know where you said is the yins, biggie, uh, you know,
0: Yeah. But you spent some of your childhood in... See, I've read Wikipedia. You spent some of your childhood in
1: Uganda? Is that right? No, Malawi. Malawi. Yes. I haven't read Wikipedia. Uh... Yeah, did that. My dad was uh, an anthropologist, and uh, he went over there a lot and took the family over. Um... yeah and I mo- mostly lived in Johnstown. it was I don't know I mean it was I mean it was the time of like crazy unemployment in the 80s it was like I think Johnstown had the world's record the highest unemployment ever something like in America <laughs> it's like a thousand percent of the people are unemployment <laughs> they're unemployed several times yeah uh but uh I don't know yeah but somehow in the midst of that whole thing I got exposed to m- you know bands and music in the 80s and then and basically I, I would know that if I went to the, the electric banana in Pittsburgh I could see punk bands and then um, and that was my <laughs> my ambition to was about it, so I was like, "Wow, I can go to shows." And you know, my dad, my dad taught at Pitt, so I had a tuition ride, free ride there, doing, you know, I was like, "All oh, right, let's, let's go to Pitt." And for the most part, my college years were more the music community than the like college. Sure, but, uh, yeah, that was it. Well, what were you gonna? Um, hear? You had something. Oh no, I,
3: I was. This is completely off the topic, but I was as a performing. Touring musician, I we saw you at the Black Hat, and I immediately was jealous of the double video screens. You know, oh, that was, was one one of so jealous. Coolest. Coolest yeah, it was you great. Guys
1: come out with triple ones. Well, we're not working not.
3: on it. Actually, did you do any? Did you do any of the editing? With your editing background, of any of the video stuff? Did you? You know,
1: no. It was a crazy story how that all came together. But um, I no did not. did not did not have any time. Right.
0: I've never seen anybody do it that way with the vocalists well that was yeah. cool I mean, you in a unique yeah. situation where you have these vocalists that so you actually yeah. want on it and you want them featured but obviously they can't be there but it was really so well, effective the way that all came
1: together was uh, well you know we, we made the record in the studio um, we are figuring out who was singing on, on the record uh, and then kind of during that time it was sort of like okay we're going to play shows so who's going to sing on stage uh, so we asked Matias who was the guy who sang the song Ice Cream right. to sing tour with us for a couple of years and we didn't really know him though that well and he goes okay <laughs> and so we're like wow okay great uh, so that's taken care of and then like uh, and then in the midst of that my mo- my mother got extremely sick and we finished the record but all of a sudden like Matthias was gonna sing so we had like all these shows booked and then last second Matthias backs out, you know, he had his reasons, I'm not saying it was his fault. So all of a sudden we don't have a singer and it was like and I'm like spending all my time at the hospital and I like we're not even practicing and it was like, Well, we'll just like ask everybody to make a video of themselves singing and like so it was sort of like a last minute scramble and uh, and, you know, somebody, James, this guy who works for United Visual Artists, UVA, which is a, which is a, they they made the Battles Tanto video. So oh, yeah. they, they kind of set that thing up the first time. The, the videos. They get into the geeky technical stuff, and we should
0: explain to people listening that, the screens are behind you guys, Right. and they're fairly large, and they actually feature the vocalist who sing on um, gloss drop for each song, and it's perfectly synced. So I assume it's the geeky question is: is this like MIDI? How did you how do you do the sync the syncing?
1: Yeah, uh, just trigger. I would trigger the vocal. Um, I would play the audio off of a computer. And then there was another computer attached to that that would stream the video and, uh, yeah, I mean, simply put, that's what happened. That's cool. It doesn't feel any
0: more less restrictive than no. the syncing you guys do?
1: No. No, that's about it. I mean, you, you, you have to think, you know, when you play a festival or something, it's always like that. you got to run a video. Because the video laptop's, like, lived up by the mixing board. So, like, at festivals, like, sometimes there was always this crazy moment when you have to, like, run a wire through an audience on the... through a grassy field and then feel really cover it up. and You know, like... You know. Pray. Uh, there's, yeah. There's, there's a lot of, like, funny, like, the more... I'm sure you know this, like, the more technology you add to your show, the more ridiculous everything gets in a certain sense of, like, you know, what... Like I'm, am like, standing like on stage in front of like maybe thousands of people, and it's like a wound-up rock show, and I am like rebooting my computer right now. Huh. Like why, why, how did I get in this how did get Yeah. <laughs> why is
3: this happening? I, I could just play guitar. Life shouldn't be like this. Well, that's no. I, dipped I, in and
1: out of that, and
0: yeah. it's oh, been liberating to when you get rid of some of this stuff. Yeah, we actually different.
3: dumped some of our just just because it we were trying so to do this kind of lean and mean. And I missed some of that stuff, and, I, and I'm and i sure it'll be back, but it is... And you guys, but I mean, in the video thing, too. I mean, you were going to be... You were going to have many stuff anyway, because you were going to trigger stuff musically. So to, to trigger the vocal yeah, and the video isn't necessarily right. going to make it more or less fluid. I mean, you know, the words... I know, I was thinking click, more you know, almost so.
0: like psychologically, yeah. but there is an extra computer added, yeah. it, it sounds yeah. like. But I would think, it too, a lot of that burden probably is on John, though, right? I mean, because yeah. he's playing against pre-recorded beats or clicks or things like that right
1: yeah not pre yeah we never use a click well see this band always had a loop we always created a loop, a loop on stage and the loop amp always sits behind the drummer and blares player, at the drummer's head if, <laughs> like, everybody on stage can hear it and that it, and that's sort of, like, the base of the song. I mean, so you know, that's our click. So there's no click. Yeah, yeah. Well, no,
3: but, he, but, they, but they're a constraint so that you can, yeah,
1: you can, pile, you can layer stuff on top of We were of it talking
3: it, about on the way over,
0: and, and, you know, when the Ad, Advent of Drum Machines in the 80s, I remember reading an interview with Stuart Copeland, and he's like, playing against those things, like, you can't speed up in the chorus, like, you can't go faster. I mean, yeah. in other words, you know, I play drums, so it's a, there are, and I've played against pre-recorded beats like that and it's a different animal you're not totally yeah. free you're always conscious of it it's not all
1: bad but... I think for for some kinds of drummers it can make it actually makes them more free because they, mm-hmm. they don't actually have to keep the beat I mean the beat's always there it's there they don't lose it and they, yeah and like it lets them actually be more free which is actually for like John it's probably a good thing because that guy is so rigid anyway so it's well like I was going to say he doesn't seem to be to, like, constrained by it at all yeah, yeah.
0: no no
3: I mean, he's pretty explosive, and it doesn't seem to hold him yeah. back, so yeah. I did that
1: in my, in my old band, Don Caviero, we started using, like, a loop pedal in, like, 98, I think, when the, we were two guitars, one guy quit, and then, and to fill up the space, I got, like, an Akai digital loop pedal, and that was probably, like, when, like, those loop pedals started becoming commercially available, like, simple, affordable, digital like, mm-hmm. And, uh, and that and that's like how that whole system started like sending the repeating loop to the drummer. That thing. I was
0: listening back. I hadn't heard the monitor EPs, the ones on Monitor, and uh, I listened to them progressively through. And it's a it's really fascinating to listen to the growth because I mean there was the same model I think where you had a loop going, but it yeah. just it was much more apparent. That's what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's like here's a loop and now we're gonna kind of play with it, it. Yeah. Right. right. as opposed to starting with uh, the last couple of records where it's just this is not this,
1: it's much yeah. more complex Yeah, that's always the thing that you wrestle with like how fluid can you make a loop you know it's obviously this repeating mechanical thing and in a way I don't know kind of annoying after six minutes of it. You're like, yeah, I get it. (laughs) Thanks. And then you want, you know. So I'm I'm putting a lot of work in right now to creating looping systems that are fluid and that sort of moves around, even though it still is this repeating, captured phrase, but more loosey-goosey, more musical, as opposed to mechanical.
3: Right, right. Well, that's the whole thing about, with, you know, the, the groove, we're moving the groove and the, you know, quantizing and all this stuff. It's sort of, yeah. it, it's still digital and it's still artificial, but you can you can play with that a little yeah. bit, you know, and, and the system's become more sophisticated. You can play with it in more subtle ways, and so it doesn't sound so rigid, you know. It's kind and of amazing
1: right now how accepted it is just to play. Backing tracks oh. on stage right now. There used to be scandals
3: because yeah. my wife, when she was a kid, she went to go see ELO. Now it's not oh, a band sure. I've ever ever liked, but the ELO that was the tour they got in deep trouble for having backing tapes. I don't know oh, who uh, it was some orchestra probably for like the orchestra. Yeah, probably, and probably, yeah. and
2: probably, yeah, it was probably because it just yeah, wasn't the E, the L, or the O. Which one was uh, who was guilty? Pre-recorded. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah right. Oh, I think the O. The lights were all...
3: no. Well, um, and uh, and that was a big scandal. Like people, yeah. I think the people actually demanded refunds, you know? Like that was like Sure. Well, yeah, you know. Yeah, it was fraudulent. It was fraudulent. And now, I mean, putting aside just like purely laptop artists, which obviously, but yeah, you guys. And a lot of bands, like I mean, I, I could I could think of a lot of, and, I, and we've done it on a small level too of where you're having whole parts like that because yeah, it used well, used to be a pretty big part of our set,
2: really. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And Probably will be again, you know? And so, and because it's, it's cool, you know, because you can do things that three people can't do. right? And I love the idea of going up there with three people or four people. We've talked about this before. Going up there and providing something that transcends our physical limitations so that we can go up there and present a performance or a show that has things that, wait, three people can't do that. And there's a mystery involved. Like, I don't know how you do some of the stuff that you do.
0: And I'm professional. and I like that I like the mystery it's kind of cool well you guys do that too uh, fairly well and part of what was fun about seeing what you did after Tondai left was I think it's even richer than it was I mean I liked it when he was in the band too but I mean I I don't know if you doing exactly what you described which is creating more sound and more complexity
1: than you think three people could yeah yeah it's It it all, it all kind of coincide. I mean, I like having been in bands now for like over 20 years, and like, it, to me, the novelty of plugging a guitar into the amp, and is one, two, three, four, and playing a song, is kind of like boring. And so, I'm always looking for a new trick, a new something. I still feel like I'm just about one gimmick after another, and like I don't know, you know. Maybe underneath it, there's like like, like a heart. Of you know, for the most part, it's like I don't know. I need new toys all the time, and so it's like you know, coinciding with like this technological shift over the last 20 plus years. Now, now you have this generation of kids in electronic EDM, as they call it. These these new kids have grown up just with the internet so fully, and it just seems like I don't know, like going to see a DJ press play on a laptop. Is in, in going apeshit crazy, like in the crowd t- to watch, you know, any of these big name DJ types. It's it's funny, like, what the idea of live music is
3: yeah. now. Well, yeah, like going to somebody's office and seeing them, you know, hit send. Yes! You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it, it, it's, yeah, it was, it, it's that, about as exciting yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Even if I love the music, even if you love the email, I do. Yeah, I, I, got I a really nice computer. Great and memo
0: that I got. Office. And when they, yeah, right. when they
2: hit send on the memo, I was just like, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean... They helped to innovate like the blind copy field. Yeah. You know, so... <laughs> you were there for that. I was there for
3: populating the
2: blind copy field. Right, right, right. Yeah. So,
3: yeah. But yeah, the, and the, the DJ the thing... thing. I saw that on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this yeah, sick Yeah. But I was... Well, who was... I was thinking of a guy who does... And like, you know, performances like that who I like actually. Oh, oh, um... Field? Yeah, yeah. You know, who's kind the of famous field. for yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm like, how does it? Like, if I go see this guy, yeah. is he just... At a laptop, I mean, things like Philip Jack has turntables and a and, and this is actually it's a cheap Casio yeah. that he's yeah he's random. like okay I'm I'm sampling this and I'm gonna loop it now and, it may work, and that it may the not. randomness I can see that and I can yeah. say wow that's really cool yeah and whereas even like a finet you know like I don't know if that's something that I've never seen him so maybe it's really entertaining and the music I find thoroughly entertaining but is it to watch it is it just like watching somebody in the studio mm-hmm.
1: which having all spent time in a studio limited limited appeal yeah I mean that's the thing I wonder like in a way there is this like something something inside like I, I am this older person who's like oh nobody's, nobody's playing their instruments like that that sucks <laughs> but, but then in reality and well while, while I still like people who play their instruments of course in our reality like do I want to listen to I don't know I want to listen to like 90s era indie rock right, now. right. you know because I'm not I probably wouldn't go to see that anyway and and like somebody asked me to DJ at their bar last year and I did that a few times but it was like oh but by the way if uh, you play rock and roll and not electronic music and I was like oh okay and I was like wow it was actually really challenging for me to like think of like what I thought was cool rock and roll to play for hours I, I don't know I, I I had to admit that like most of the stuff that I like to listen to was electronic now and for like uh, me now. so although you
3: guys but you guys present that in a, a almost a power trio format you know yeah it's, yeah you know and 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 that's where I think is yeah. It's so, a rock experience. So it's a it's, it's a it's a yeah, it's a rock it's both. performance. It's, and it's, also it's a rock performance, yeah. but it's obviously coming from a different place. Yeah. And so that part of your brain can appreciate that as yeah. a performer and saying, Okay, well, I I'm still plugged into that, but I'm also doing something that is, is yeah. electronic. Yeah,
1: I'm still so, like I probably of the generation that like I saw the Jesus lizard a bunch. I'm still like figuring out how to do something good as good as the Jesus Lizard but knowing I they've already done what they did in their or I have to think of something different right to, to still hope to be cool like that
0: one day All right oh, that's, the, that's the phrase that came up earlier today with Johnny Temple and we've said a million times we wouldn't do what we're doing if we weren't trying to we were trying to do something that hasn't been done before right we wouldn't do it if
2: it had already been well, done if somebody else was already doing it yeah we, we wouldn't, yeah, bother. We wouldn't be. The, Wait. if somebody else was already doing what we do we would not be trying to even trying yeah. to do what we yeah. We'd we'd want Yeah, we would say to fine. And I'll but buy your records then. Yeah, you know that's cool. Right. I like yeah, it. somebody else already first. covered
3: that pace Cause like, yeah. yeah,
1: that's the whole thing about music inspiration, which is that like, is it does it make you want to make music like that, or it's to, to actually say, okay, that's great, but now I can't do that.
3: Well, you know, I mean, that's I, I don't know. That maybe depends on the listener. Maybe depends on the music itself. But I think that the artistic imperative is the same. That was where it kind of came down whether whether you're making music or writing books. I would assume too. Um, or publishing books, publishing yeah, books, okay. or, or 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 starting a new business. Even yeah, I suppose it could be you know building a building. You know, but are you doing something that is filling a need that is not been not being fed? Even if it's your own, yeah. like you know you hear this all the time. I make records that I don't hear that I want made that I want to hear. You know, I make I made I made a record that I just felt like you know it needed to exist, and if nobody else was going to do it, then we're going to do it you know and that's sort of that's the artistic imperative I think of that of of just wanting to do something that isn't you know a need that may not know even know it exists you know that that you're not speaking its name something
0: like that yeah well how do you feel now that you are where you are in the last couple records and have gotten recognition I don't mean to presume that you're I would assume you're very satisfied with them I don't mean to presume that but where do you Feel that there's an enormous challenge now to try to keep pushing forward. I mean, it's always tricky for, for anybody in a creative situation. But where are you on that um, sort of scale of like you find it daunting for the to create the next record, or you feel very like you have a ton
1: of ideas and it's not going to be super difficult. Cool? Um, well, you know, like sometimes I think about the, that painter Chuck Chuck Close said a thing once, like that. Inspiration is for amateurs and the artists just go to work every day. You pound nails in the boards, you know, Yeah. As you said, that's your first. And that, you know, and it is sort of like if I set up a system in my life where I go to my space every day and it's boring as hell and I have no internet there and I just put myself to it, then like things actually happen. And that's sort of the way I generally. And if you waited for inspiration, nothing might get done. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it would be. You're drunk at two in the morning, like, oh, I got a great idea. Right, right. That doesn't really yeah. do much for you.
0: <laughs> that is a great quote I saw recently. Um, inspiration is for amateurs, and yeah. it reminds me the other great quote that's come out of this so far, which is Jamie Stewart's, which is funnest for assholes. <laughs> they do relate. Funnest for, yeah. Funnest for assholes? is for
1: assholes. That's a good one. Too.
3: Well, that, which, which relates to the, the quote from yeah. Wild Man Blues, Woody Allen backstage at one of their concerts says, in theory, this should be fun. Right. You know, there, there's, you know, there's, a, there, of course... That speaks to neuroses. It's and... speaks neuroses, but it also speaks to, you have an idealized what, vision of what, what, what it what, is. That was a Woody Allen thing? Woody Al- yeah, Woody he's Allen... He's playing with his jazz you know, his band, his jazz group, was... his New Orleans jazz group, and, and, yeah. and touring Europe, and he's, of course, from the, from the start, he's stressed out, you know... And backstage, they're just like, you know, about to go on, and he's like, this is his bandmates, or He's like, yeah, you know, in theory, this should be fun. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't mean he doesn't want to be there or do it. He does. Yeah.
0: But it's, you well, know, how the many times of it. have we had that experience? I mean, I'm sure you do too all the time. You're out on the road way more than we are. Like, you're theoretically doing exactly what you want to do, but at that moment, you're tired, and it's like it two can in the make morning. You Oh, you like to be time. scratching
3: your ass you wish on a sofa watching, or
0: watching TV. You know, just, yeah. Just, 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 yeah. It's work. Yeah, right. Home. Yeah. It's you know. work. I mean, it really is. It took me years to realize that, too. Like, the things that I like to do, I, I never thought of them as work, because it wasn't going to feel like work. But I also, as a result, didn't think that they were worthy or useful. Valid. Valid. Yeah. Because yeah. of the way I was raised. I mean, if you're raised in a middle-class family with or whatever, especially from certain parts of the country, it's like work is something that just, you know, it sucks but you just do it. You just fucking do it all the time. And I don't know. I just I, I don't know. I don't want to know about it. Well,
3: the it kind of goes to what you were saying earlier, you know, you you look at your life and you, you know, you're like I'm I'm 40 blah 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 and I'm this or that or the other and I and my friends from college are here and I think that, you know, and we see this a lot and we always said this about what we do is that we just we're lifers and we just that's yeah, what we're gonna we do, do we're always going to do it no matter what else is going to be a our lot lives, easier to not do it much easier to but so many people people some of whom are very talented just stop doing it and the, you know maybe yeah. maybe they had success maybe they didn't and maybe if they had success it's even easier to stop because if you reach a certain level and you can't stay there then your heart is just completely torn out of your chest if you're if you go down here but the bottom line is you were saying this before this may be another reason hey I'm X years old I got I to gotta, I gotta get real, I got to earn X amount of money because all my people that I grew up with, whatever, they're doing this, and they have yeah. nice cars, or they have, you know... External yeah. referencing. And, and you right. know, no matter how successfully you might feel what you're doing, and you're, but, you know, there's always we have all these measuring sticks in our culture,
4: uh-huh.
3: and all these definitions of success, and you try to keep up with all of them, and your head explodes, but yeah. it's part of the American way. You
1: yeah. pay attention to that. See, I, I ultimately don't think I really care that much about money. I really don't care for the poor, which actually is kind of like middle. If you come from a middle class the house, like I never had, I, I never grew up poor, so I never. I'm not afraid of not having money, right? And I've often lived month to month, and that's okay. it doesn't scare me. I'm like whatever, I'll figure it out. But you know, I think kids classically, people who grew up actually really poor are the ones who are like, my God. I don't have that fire I don't really care but, so I'm not I'm not really I don't really think I'm like thinking about trying to make money that much but
3: um well, you mentioned fire and that like the, this is the other angle with of fire of, of, of an artistic fire or hunger and that is that good art comes from from that and sometimes success extinguishes that fire which yeah. is yeah, we've
1: you know well, the Ian Savonius line, which was that the kids who grow up in Manhattan are never uh, the ones who do anything in life, but it's the kids who grew up in New Jersey on the outside that are really hungry to get in. Like this guy right here. Yeah. Like, yeah. This,
2: like this guy right here. They're, they're the ones that are like, oh, God, I,
1: like I'm gonna take that one. You know, that's why a place like like these magnet cities like New York are like
2: really defined by their emigrants or Sinatra immigrants. Sinatra is the classic uh, illustration of that, actually. You're right. Going from Hoboken, he, yeah. I mean, it was a story he told many times. He'd sit there in Hoboken, oh. staring across the river, and the guy—that's that's where I want to be. Oh, and the guy—that's where I'm going to get. Yeah, and it's the
1: guy on the outside. Yeah, the outsider sings New York. You know, yeah,
2: that's right. Right, that's the right. The
1: yeah. classic New York song. Yeah, yep. and that, like, I want to connect it to world history now. Like, the um, whoever wrote from Don to Decadence? That was,
4: like,
1: sound like, world historian guy uh, who died, I think, this year, actually. Um, I'm forgetting his name. But uh, but his whole thing was that, like, went, like the concept of Western culture that grew from Rome and then spread throughout Europe. But, you know, the Europeans were all savages at first and then eventually converted to Christianity and this idea of, like, Europe grew out of that. Uh, that it was always the people on the fringes of... The West, who, who were the most fanatical about Westernism, about like Europe, and Christian, and that like Ireland was actually civilized by Rome and this idea of Christianity way before uh, England was. Yeah, I get you were probably talking I don't know five hundred A.D. or something, but <laughs> the that the idea of. It's always the people on the fringe who are the most radical. And like when I think about the fringe of whatever the object of the culture is, when I think about like the Hasidic Jews and also some of the ultra-orthodox Jews here in Brooklyn, those are like maybe not the Hasidics, but some of the other ultra-orthodox Jews. There's like some of the most radical dudes going to Israel doing the settling, the settling stuff, like you know, built doing the settlements in Palestine and stuff. And it's like th- that, 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 that. Gung ho idea. It's always people on the edge, on the, on the just on the outside of it. The, the. Anyway, and this is the guy from New Jersey who sings the song about New York. That's right. Well, what's your reflection
0: on that? You're the you history guy and a political guy. What do you?
2: What do you? Yeah. Oh, I don't know that had a reflection. It? I was more formulating a one-liner actually. Oh, that's fine too. <laughs> Go ahead. You know, about Hitler growing up in Austria and saying, yeah. one day I'm yeah, going to rule Germany. Yeah, yeah. right. There Over
3: there. That's right. Right. Well, we have talked oh, a oh, lot. Did he? Yeah, how that happened? work out? I don't have That's a story story.
0: Uh, you didn't finish the book yet? I didn't finish the book yet. <laughs> <laughs> yet. Pete Beatty gave it away last night Where I am, the. he just grew the mustache. I don't know anything else. What's happening? Um, <laughs> we do talk about those origins. I think you've talked about this a little bit, too. Like, I'm 45. Michael's 49. 43. I mean... Why the hell are we're not making a living from this. We're still doing this, right? I mean, we put a lot of time and effort and money into this. Do more um, And I've been talking this has been coming up recently, like you said it today. Why don't you tell that little anecdote
2: about that buddy yours who was playing that car song on the bus? Uh, well we were listening to uh, satellite radio on the way over here. Just what I needed uh-huh. by uh, by the cars was on. Yeah. You know, great song. And uh there was a guy who uh, I went to high school with. Well, I won't say his name, actually. Uh, a guy I went to high school with. Cool guy, nice guy.
4: Uh, you giving it away now.
2: Excuse yeah, you know, uh, all the girls liked him. And, and he Andy played in the band. He like, he had his feet in a number of camps. Uh, and he was sitting in the back seat on the way to an away football game playing just what I needed on the guitar, like, yeah. surrounded by girls. Yeah. And uh, it, like, it was a seminal moment for
1: you're like, I never want to play the guitar because
2: yeah. of that, or, or I do want to play the guitar. Well, no, it's exactly. No, it, was, it was exactly <laughs> really good what, I, what I wanted uh, to do. It was and the coolest me, and move not, ever. And, not even and it was more about the guitar than it was being surrounded by girls. Even. Yeah. I uh, I just thought it was it was really cool. Uh, and uh, I mean I can finish telling the anecdote, though I'm not entirely sure why you asked me to, to, to bring it up actually. Well, because but you Go know, and then finish. we were talking about how. Uh, I don't know, I guess people just stagnate and, and stop, I guess.
0: Well, here's what the, he took away. We did talk, you went on to talk about how this yeah, guy, no, you've yeah, checked, you you checked him there. out on Facebook and he's like, yeah. his tastes have stopped about right that time. That's a different issue, but what I was going to say was, what I said as a punchline to that story was, that here you are 30 years later. Like, you saw him doing this, you thought, oh, I want right. to do that. Here you are 30 years later. And we're not doing this to make a living. I mean, it'd be nice if we we're could, but we're not to to be surrounded by girls. We're doing it for some reason, and those things have come up. What are those reasons, you know? There's a lot of reasons. I thought right. about it a lot. There's, They're really strong and compelling. I do remember saying at one point, even to my mom, when I was, it was probably 1983 or something, like, this is something I want to do. Like, I was reporting on a fortune. something I want to do when I'm grown up, too. I want to do this. I do this. And I'm still doing it, right? So it caught me in some way. And there's those moments, you know, where you're like, this is it. I'm going to do this no matter what.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I've had this thought... I don't know that I've ever put it in so many words to you guys, but I've had this thought a number of times since we've been doing these podcasts and and interviewing people. I mean, I've wanted to play guitar in a rock and roll band ever since I knew what playing guitar in a rock and roll band was. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It it just captured me. And and it has been like the center of my, uh, you know, my dream life really uh, ever since. Yeah. Because unlike what, what you said earlier, even though I, mean, I play guitar with, you know, a lot of pedals and a lot of effects, and I, I try to manipulate the sounds, uh, you know, any number of ways, uh, and part of that is to keep myself interested uh, and do things you know, and like just do things a little bit differently and, and distinctively, uh, you know. But but I I do still get a charge out of a, out of plugging a, a guitar in, yeah. And uh, and I've got a new fuzz box that I'm using now uh, and all it does is distort it doesn't do anything fancy yeah. or weird yeah. it's just a kick ass yeah. distortion box yeah. and I fucking love it yeah. I mean I can totally get lost in that just like I could ten years ago so. yeah
1: I still think of what I do is like yeah the guitar to me is still my mental center of what I'm doing and all the keyboards and all the other gadgets are just extensions of the guitar in a really sure. good way to me even, yeah. if,
2: like even if the guitar is it's largely a triggering device uh, which it is like more so for you than, than for me i think uh, i still think for me it's still very important yeah. that that triggering device is an electric guitar yeah and not yeah. a laptop yeah. or a synthesizer it yeah. is a fucking no, it, guitar
1: yeah. no, well
3: something tactile about it too and there's also something about the picture of Jimmy Page that I had up on my wall in my bedroom Absolutely. with the guitar, you know, it's like, yeah. that's the, the guitar. Yeah. Every keyboard player always wanted to play guitar. Absolutely. Yeah. And very rarely was it the other way around. Now, yeah. we all came of the age at a time where it became cool to play synthesizers and, and beatbox and all this stuff, but it didn't mean you ditched the guitar. It just meant that you added these things to enhance your experience of playing the guitar. In some ways, it right. enhanced the experience of making songs with a guitar. And and uh, So, no, I mean, that's, that's what attracted, you know, me, it just looked, looked like a cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, all my favorite music was coming out of those boxes. So yeah, you
0: know, great. Well let's get into some total dorky geekery here. here. Speaking oh. Let's talk well, let we you guys can definitely talk yeah right, yeah, this sure is different enough. than what we've been doing. <laughs> no, well this is, you guys should definitely, this is, this, I'm opening the door to gear questions for one uh-huh. thing. <laughs> These guys are gear guys for sure. Um, but I just think it's interesting like your stage setup with the keyboard how it's Propped up like that, mm-hmm. I mean, I can see some ergonomic reasons for that. Is that simply yeah. the reason? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I do. I, yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. You know. Right. So, it, yeah, it's about making the keyboard rock. It's very hard to do that. And how do you? Yeah, way hard. That's. Yeah. You know, like okay, the, the reality of you know when you sit at a piano, you know, you stick your arms straight out. And they're at a certain angle to the keys, right? And that's the best way to play them. And we so okay. So if you say I want to stand, I don't want to sit on stage, and you want to stand on stage, then either the keyboard has to be like really high. <laughs> if you want to keep that angle to your hands, you know, you have to like stick the keyboard up by your shoulders, which would be kind of weird. That would look really yeah. silly. Although I think I just had an idea
0: for the next tour, <laughs> no. but. Uh, like you some, know, some this one guy now puts his like crash, like, his ride, like super super high up, like it was totally the guy, weird uh, looking. The, the drummer for back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so if you stick your
1: arm a little lower, then the angle is like 45 degrees to the ground. So, uh, yeah, and that's the thing. It which leads to like so many ridiculous. Like I, I become, I, I again another situation I curse myself in with, which is like what. Everybody else in my band shows up to a gig and they're like, "Okay, I got my pedals plugged in or whatever, Plug and and play. I'm ready to go." <laughs> and I'm like, like I spend like an extra hour before everybody. I'm like getting like, um, like all these stupid like arms and extensions going and like make sure the velcros there. I'm like, oh, what? A,
4: like
1: why am I, I? I own I own so many like stupid keyboard stand accessories. It's just like, really, like, well, how did I get here? Isn't it
0: funny how it speaks to, like, comfort, though, because, I mean, I'm a drummer, so, like, I like things at a certain level there, and it's going to put the shit out of me. We certainly have little things like that. You can't just put your guitar strap wherever and sometimes play here, sometimes here. But it really is on stage, which in some respects, a ludicrous situation that you're on stage. I mean, none of us 100% of the time, I guess, or at least when you begin, you don't feel super comfortable. You got to find a way. You're on,
2: you're on stage all the time.
0: It's part of your uh, your full-time. Gig. It's a different stage though. I'm a understand. teacher, so like Oh yeah. But I I can jump into that no problem. Like, uh-huh. and I'm just comfortable here enough. I mean, playing uh playing music. Show. But I'm getting at like sometimes I would I do tweak things a little bit and it's just it's enough to keep me off balance and not have me focused on thinking about myself being on stage. Yeah. So, it seems like you found that niche really because you look extremely comfortable on stage maybe you feel comfortable too I don't know but it, it is a cool look I really like when that, also, yeah, the angled keys. Yeah, oh that's it's cool. super cool, cool yeah. Uh, yeah but it has to be functional too at the same time
1: or, yeah to me it really comes out of it, the, the need for that 45 degree angle to the ground if you're standing so you can reach down put it, it. So and they, they kind of feel like they're like guns coming yeah. out of my holster. But doesn't that make you feel confident? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Very few people have like keyboards to that. not, That's yeah. the you know. Is he a cowboy yeah. or is he a keyboardist? Is it gunslinger I said
3: that at your Black show. I whispered in your ear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, outside of maybe Keith Emerson, who has said that, and Keith Emerson like plunged like daggers into his keyboard. He was so trying to make it like into a guitar. Did he? Oh yeah. He tried. Oh, I don't like Keith Emerson. Like ELB, it always turns just, to yeah. Keith Emerson. Elo and ELP. No, yeah, I don't right. like either one of them. No, I know. Same here. ELP, that's that's Powell, Powell as well.
0: Yeah, there's an like, like Powell Ben Powell. Yeah, that's um, a law firm. I, mean. yes. um, <laughs> I wish it were. Ask,
1: ask some gear questions. Ask some gear, gear questions.
0: questions. I want gear questions answered. I don't know what the questions are. I don't know if I, I don't
1: know if I have any gear questions. I mean,
4: gear to me, know, me is I, you know is
1: important only in the sense unless ge- you do your thing. I mean, my, my take on gear. Is uh, I I I've always been practical about it, and like I I just want to. In a lot of ways, like I I think it might be strange to say this because as a person with a lot of gear on stage right now, in my current lineup, but I like I think that limit you know limitations more create creative responses, and I, I, I think that you can drown in too many choices, and I, I think it's important to only add something when you're like, I need this, because I want this to happen, and right. I don't have the ability to do it right now, and, uh, I don't know, I've never been the person, like, I, I have some friends who will, like, they'll talk about, like, I'm trading this guitar, I'm getting this guitar, and it's on eBay, and, like, people live, there are people who live in that world. I don't, I don't really care about that stuff at all. I, I, I don't think about it. I don't care. It's all, I mean, it's really, like, does it work? Okay. Right. Like, is the guitar in tune? Okay, I'll play it. Like, I, I'm really simple about that. I don't care that much. It's not like a sex object for me. It's like this, it's a generic module that like, if that guitar breaks, just give me another one. And if that amp breaks, just give me another one. I'm into, the amps I like, tend to be like clean bass amps, mostly. So I'm not really like married to like an amp sound. uh, I think a lot of the sounds I make happen before it gets to the end. Uh, I don't know. I therefore it's it's a strange it's a utility... like my need my probably my relationship with gear is like I need it to be like a a Toyota camera. Like just reliable and not sexy. And not break. Yeah. When yeah. You needed. That's about it. That's, that's really the yeah.
3: Well and I think actually is the thing that I think is a is a center sort of a center tenant that I've always followed and we've talked about before and that is that I maybe in those exact words limitations are great for creativity, they're great for art lack of resources is one of the best things that can happen you know, you don't, having endless numbers of tracks available and all these things and all this constant you know, constant stuff and is, uh, it's a trap because uh, we talked about this yesterday you get caught up in that part of it of the acquisition and just like and it's it's interesting stuff but you know and you get away from actually making something it's useful you know and and i think that when you're limited in stuff you don't have 50 mics you know you don't have all this stuff you're like well how are we going to do this with what we have and then you start thinking you start problem solving or thinking about ideas that, that you wouldn't have thought of because you would have had the well, device necessity to take care is of some other invention, and would you would have had the device it. that would take care of it instead of your brain taking care of it your imagination taking care of it. So, mm-hmm. well, you have Kevin
0: Shields as an example of somebody who had the opposite issue, and then Chinese democracy, you know, fable, unlimited budget, unlimited time, et cetera, et cetera. Wait, Chinese around.
1: democracy was the the
0: Guns N' Roses actual? It was a Guns Guns N' Roses Roses record that
2: was...
0: It finally came out, didn't it? Yeah. It was But he spent like a billion dollars. I'm exaggerating, but you know. You could have whatever you wanted at all times. Yeah, unlimited time, resources, access to the studio, everything else. And you
1: get shit. And it's... There has to be limitations. You don't really have to think a whole lot. You know, after... um, Here's an interesting in-between situation, which is that the, I think... It was the third Don Cab record we made in downtown Detroit at White Room Studio with Al Sutton, and he was about to record the Kid Rock record, but it was the one that broke Kid Rock. So at that time he was sort of like a local Detroit guy, which well, he'd stay there But he came into the studio when we were in there, and I remember to take measurements for his hot tub. <laughs> so we were like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Like, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever That's... seen in my life, and. Uh, and this is his full-on, like, rap rock. Oh, right. No, before he rock. was Southern rock again. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, uh, Southern rap rock. So Ooh, not, whatever so, it is. So it was like, you know, it was like, you know, get my old was and bitches and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, wow, what is this guy really? doing? Really? Yeah. And then, but apparently I found out later that he was on an extreme low budget on that. And he got, like, a $50,000 advance from Atlantic or something for that record but he spent 30 of it on the hot tub <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a, you know when you gotta like cut corners you have to be smart about it well or or, <laughs> or maybe see, yeah.
3: or maybe he was because then he only had 20 grand to spend he's like oh, now we have to be creative <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna get in the hot tub and think about this and come up with a really cool solution I can see how that would work now I know from listening to his stuff it didn't work in a creative level but it certainly he's got a career I mean you know whatever you want to call it that's oh, pretty funny yeah, whatever right you want that want. Hot tub. Hot, you know. It's yeah.
1: interesting when you think about like Ted Nugent and Kid Rock are both from Michigan. This like weird white white Republican rock guy thing, and then and then you also have from the city of Detroit the three biggest white rap acts: Eminem, Insane Clown Posse, and uh, I know there's one other. Eminem, Insane Clown Posse. Oh, and Kid Rock. I guess. Well, Kid Rock right? Kid Rock's both of us
0: Yeah Yeah he's he, he, Now that's versatile Well then we have MC5
1: <laughs> And Death uh, Yeah you had the MC5 thing too Yeah that crossover
3: and and Yeah yeah like The first In some ways Some of the early punk rock Yeah you, things, you Okay know, right. Death
1: Right Another crossover yeah. Sure have you seen,
3: I haven't seen that documentary yet No okay. I really want to see it It does sound really cool I, I watched actually After we got back from Chicago Because I don't think I'd even heard of it To be we on the road Talking about it i did go on youtube and watch the trailer Shiller. yeah and it does look really it looks cool looks really cool
0: yeah so yeah, that and the big star ones i gotta see Heard mixed things about that yeah well but don't... i'll watch a documentary anybody as i proved by watching
1: the eagles one the i know night. you did well there's, there's, I don't... there's a good big star doc well there's a new just, there is a big star doc came out. good or not
3: i think the problem with that is going to hold like it that's where you heard some negative
0: stuff oh did yeah that's one of he's a big fan, but, kind of you know, stuff.
3: I think the pro- one of the problems, limitations of that is that I don't think there's any footage of them playing. You know, it's usually in any documentary of a band or a musician you're going to have some some archival footage of them performing so you have that reference yeah. point. Here's right. what they looked like when they were doing what they did. Get, yeah. And there's just Super 8 movies in the studio. You know, something like Twiddling knobs
1: that doesn't, that's William not satisfying. William photographs. Do you uh,
2: do you tape your gigs or uh, film your gigs at all, for um, purposes of self evaluation or strictly archival yeah. purposes? Or uh... it's always it,
1: it's always kind of painful to watch those things because I find no because you, you know in your mind you're like oh we killed it last night the crowd's going apeshit and I'm like oh it was, it was really good it's like, yeah 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 and then you if you listen to it the next day you're like oh no, it wasn't. It's always a bummer. Like, I, I don't like to revisit it like that. Well, that's funny, because he's not that way at all. No, I'm, I'm and not. He and you, I are... You like to revisit it? Or yeah. Or I, I, a, I, analyze I, and think about what you can do better?
2: Yeah, yeah, any number. And I also th- or think, George like, did, it, it's not always the phenomenon you just said. Sometimes I think we played well, yeah. and then if I see the video, it's like reaffirming. Oh, we did play well. Wow, oh, that, yeah. that sounds that sounds good. Yeah. The crowd is reacting Okay. positively yeah. to this. So, I'm always very
1: critical. So as soon as well, I see it, we, we don't do it a lot either. Uh, in part because you hear the
3: human cry from us, You're like don't. Well, no. Out, then the yeah.
2: main reason, th- th- no, that that doesn't affect me in the least. Uh, the main reason I don't do it is because I don't want to feel like a tourist at my own gig. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel, you're talking about I filming feel yourself. Nerdy oh, right. You're talking about filming yourself. Film right. To, to tape oh,
1: one yeah. of, one no, of no, our I gigs. I agree. I. We did a, we battles, played its First and only show of two thousand thirteen last week weekend. Those were, so we hadn't played since last year, and we had to go on like YouTube
2: to find like an old set to, uh-huh. re- to remember what we were doing. Right,
1: <laughs> which is pretty funny. That is. Funny. Yeah, no, I mean I. Uh, and you have
2: to do that. We played two weeks ago in uh, in Chicago, and uh, someone filmed uh, part of our set and put it up on YouTube. Uh, and it's the first time I've heard us live, uh, in, in an awfully long time. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was encouraged. Uh, I, mean, yeah. I thought it sounded pretty good, but like we point. were, uh, new material. So yeah. stuff we've only played, uh, two times, I think at that point in front of people. And, uh, yeah, no, we're on, we're on the right track. It was, it was valuable in, uh, in that regard. I yeah. Well, I, I, I think that, that, that that's probably it's probably really valuable I, for me I know if I
1: actually could, if I daily went through my show the night before I would then be like okay that stinks don't do that okay that's good do more of
2: that you know. and then I could hone myself more. but oh, I, sure. I never develop a thick skin to internal I criticism I oh, as well that's I mean, just that's like what you do to, for to record reviewers and, and things like that it's always wonderful when they like it but when they don't whatever, you know, fuck them, really. Uh, you can do that with yourself, too, and just not uh, stop your own me. worst enemy Stop when, reading when your own blog, to, uh, is that what you're saying? Self-analysis, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, so no, I'm just kidding. It doesn't always have to be self-criticism. Stop following yourself on Twitter. Self-analysis.
0: Right. Unfriend yourself well, on twitter Well, that Facebook is actually right? sometimes
3: yeah. the same thing. And I, for us, it's the same thing. It doesn't you're have to be, though. That's no, what I'm saying. Oh, it doesn't have to be, but, you know, you, you're wired the way you're wired, so you have to do more work to get away from that. It's just the way you're wired, and, and mm-hmm. so it doesn't mean that you can't ever change. It just means that you got to really work. It's like you don't it. want If you to, made I... a point of doing it every day or every performance, you would get used to that. <laughs> it's like getting used to the sound of your own voice on a tape. You would get used to seeing yourself and yes. hearing the band, and then you could look at it sort of objectively and say, if there was a part that didn't work, not take it personally. Or God, I suck. Just just yeah. say, all right, I'm going to do less of that and more of that. Yes. All right, don't scratch your balls all the time between songs. You know, I mean, I don't know. You know, maybe it's very useful for that. Maybe I'm scratching my balls, <laughs> or, or all of, my posture. You know, whatever. What it's you easy. said about
0: playing that show and having to go on YouTube to figure out your set or whatever. But REM preparing to replay Murmur and played in years had to go buy the record. Like they yeah. literally <laughs> went from That's their funny. practice
1: space to buy it. That's to, hilarious. To figure it out. Which then I I also then wonder about. Also, in early when I moved to New York, I was a, like a PA for a second. It was like the MTV 20th party or some some BS like some some show, movies like you know, all these old MTV sources. I remember Salt and Peppa <laughs> sitting backstage doing the, ooh baby baby like their one hit. Yeah, yeah. I remember like watching like an older now Salt and Peppa like sit by a box radio like playing the CD and like going like remembering their song oh, before they went on wow. stage. Trying to work on it. it, just thinking like wow man. But I, it is. But, the I, it I is. is. <laughs> but it's also interesting because you're essentially covering yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And then, because of course, every time somebody covers somebody else, it changes a bit, right? And so if you think about like, if you're a band that's had a song in your repertoire for 30 years, like, like every time you have to relearn it, it probably you know, of course it changes again. Maybe you have a different different guitar. Maybe you, you know, all these things change. And you,
3: oh yeah. No, it does it's become a cover when you version. keep covering. It. Yeah, it is. It's it's almost somebody else's song. Well, I don't. Yeah. I don't listen. I mean, I, we have this conversation too. I don't tend to listen to our records. But every once in a while, if I do, yeah. it'll be almost an out of body. I, I don't even think of it as yeah. my own stuff. Yeah, it's just and 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 that's actually a good thing because if I like it, I'm like, oh, this is fucking record I love this band I've always and I'm in mean, it this. that's great you know but and it, and it, it, it sounds contrived but actually isn't and the and reason really, I don't listen to this I usually can't I can't automatically have that separation that so distance, I'm yeah. just hearing the shit that I would do differently or, or even not yeah. even that just you know not listen, just hearing it as it, it just has a it has a validity problem because I'm too attached to it um, so yeah same thing if you went back and you covered it you would maybe be covering it almost as an outsider yeah, especially if you gotta relearn it, mm-hmm. you may relearn it. And, I mean, we have different, we have odd tunings and stuff. <laughs>
1: right. Uh, I bet you relearn it with a new tuning. You yeah. might,
3: you could, and you could finger the play the whole chord differently, you know, and it would yeah. maybe rock more or less or resonate, you know. Right. So, which is that, which is an interesting concept, you know. So, well, that happens all the time. I, I, I'll, I'll write something and forget to write down the tuning. And we love the song, we record it, and then we go back to try to learn it and. You can't play that. I don't know what tuning it's in. You know, so it's, yeah. it's always tricky. But yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that's. Sonic what the pitfalls youth, of being Sonic a badass
1: the stolen guitars. Right. Right. When the right. like fan got stolen or something.
0: No, I just think we I think we all need another drink. We're gonna get another drink. Okay. Okay. Sure. Bye.
4: And